This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are joined by special guest, Portia Childs. She holds a master's degree in higher education from the University of North Texas, and she is currently the Associate Director of Global Research at Wake Forest University. Moving from Texas to Japan to North Carolina and other places in between, Portia has a wealth of experience in language and intercultural studies. So, Portia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's start with just a little of your own introduction. Portia, can you introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit of who you are and what you do? All right, yeah. So, Portia Childs, um, she, her pronouns, originally from Dallas, Texas. Um, As Brent shared, my background is in global research, and I work at a private school, Lake Forest University in North Carolina. Um, a good bit of my time in education has been spent on diversity, inclusion, and social justice work through both domestic and international lenses. So I teach, I train, I do research, um, and just spend a lot of time on those areas. I also support faith-based communities in my local community um, through a program called Can We Talk, where I've been working with them for about three years and getting um, church folks engaged in the conversation around race um, and our belief system, our faith. I, um, I lived abroad and that definitely impacted my life. Lived in Japan for a year and taught English. And those things def- definitely shaped my understanding of um, ethnic identity and who I am and, you know, gave me some insight into, you know, just God's amazing design for human beings. My master's is in education and I love learning. I'm getting a second master's degree right now um, in global affairs from Wake Forest University. And today's my birthday, actually. So um, I am now in my late 30s, um, which is a hard thing for me to come to grips with, but uh, excited about that. And you agreed to talk to us on your birthday? <laughs> it's a gift. I think it's a gift to myself. There you go. <laughs> that is good. Well, it is a gift to us. So <laughs> I I appreciate that. So now you've told us about uh, who you are and, and what you do. Tell us about a little bit about your story and just personally where you've come from and what your experience just has been being you. Yeah. So um, raised in Dallas, uh, parents that were believers grew up in Baptist environments. And so uh, reading the Bible was always a part of my life, going to church, went to non-denominational churches, majority white churches uh, most of my life. Um, But about third grade, my parents decided to go to school for their degrees. And so we uh, packed up and moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they attended um, Oral Roberts University, a private Christian university there. Um, my dad took Hebrew, and so it was amazing and great hearing different languages spoken and, and practiced in my house. He also took Russian. Um, we were really uh, encouraged as kids. I'm one of three kids, and so we were really encouraged to challenge and analyze things. And so if we had questions for our parents, we could always ask them that. We were engaged to kind of challenge or push back a little bit. So that really gave me confidence in doing and kind of living a life like that, which is great for home, not so great in educational settings all the time. Um, and so from about third to eighth grade, my parents decided to homeschool us. And so we used a Christian curriculum and, um, a lot of that was just, again, reinforced who God was, um, who he called us to be, um, how he wanted to, um, as you all say, partner with us, um, and doing some great work. Um, and so that was just kind of really instilled in me, um, everything from going to Awana, not sure if you're familiar with that, but it is an organization that focus, uh, focuses on equipping local churches and small groups to disciple children to teenage years. And so spent just a, a good bit of time um, in in the church. Um, I went to a large high school after um, 
after my parents, my parents got divorced. We moved, I moved back to Dallas with my mom and we went to a large school and joined a large, uh, predominantly black church. Um, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, Tony Evans is the pastor there and was senior pastor when we were there. And so uh, being in that space was uh, an additional benefit for me because it allowed me to um, experience uh, just church life, church community um, around folks that con- that share the same ethnic identity as, as myself. And that um, supported me a great deal um, in, in, for me trying to shape my faith. And um, so that was really helpful for my upbringing in that way, um, moved around left to go to Japan after a few years and again, being challenged, being the only believer that I knew in that space and was really just affirmed. And, and God really just blessed me and was gracious to me in that even in a space where I was the only believer, um, somehow people noticed or took note of that. Um, one specific example for me is I was working with a teacher and she randomly asked me, a Japanese teacher, and she asked, are you a Christian? And I, I said, yes. She said, I can always tell who the Christians are because something about them is just different. And so just all the things that I've read in the Bible about, you know, how they'll know you, um, how they'll know me by, you know, how you love other people. And so that really just stuck, stuck with me and stayed with me. Um, so now I'm at Wake Forest and um, working with Inner Varsity there. I've been serving with that community for about three years and have done other um small group discipleship groups at other schools at University of North Texas with the Village Church Denton campus. And um, so really excited to continue this journey for me and understanding who God is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a fellow person has a heart for campus ministry. I love that. So that's, that's awesome. I love all the university connections. I have just so many great organizations out there and that's fantastic. Um, so I wanted to just make just a, you know, we've had a chance, Portia, to actually talk quite a bit back and forth via email and then a conversation to prep for this. We've had some conversation outside of this where we've just been able to make some some good notes. And one of the things that you brought up that I was I thought was really important, I want to make sure we mentioned it here, was that we're going to have a conversation today and we want to recognize that um, like y- you and I are not the only experiences out there mm-hmm. and your experience as a black woman and and my experience as a white male and like we love to put things on these binary like and the human experience is just so complex and there's so many different experiences out there um within our own like sub communities within like there's so many other things to be considered like humanity is a complex uh <laughs> journey and interaction and relationship with each other and so we we wanted to recognize that and and not give the impression that like the conversation we're going to have is comprehensive and represents the whole. So mm-hmm. um, we thought that was important to mention that. And and I want to mention out loud so that everybody can hear us so that you can feel comfortable doing this. If I say something today, I want you to have full permission today on this podcast to like hit the brakes to 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 talk to me about the language that I use. Like I have become so aware of so many things that I'm ignorant of and things that I want to be better with. And so I want to invite uh, people as much as I can to, and I invite you to do that today. So you have full permission, Portia, to do that um, and, and to call me out on anything that I may say intentionally, unintentionally in ignorance or, you know, whatever. Uh, so just feel free to do that. And and then the last thing I'll just say about this is I know uh, I, I, I just, I want this conversation today, my heart is this is a this is an exercise in listening and empathy. Uh, we've worked really hard to try to create within the Bema space, within the podcast space, 
lots of wiggle room, like lots of generous, giving people lots of space to maintain their own convictions and maintain their dignity. And we've tried to not be heavy handed or accusatory or any like we've tried to be just super generous with that. And yet we've already said things that I know I'll get emails about. I know I've gotten the email about social justice and how it's not biblical justice. Like, please save me that email. Um, like we, I, I, I get to have those conversations all the time. Um, that's not what we're doing here today. What we're doing here today, what I have experienced, what matters to me, this is Marty, Marty speaking here. I have had the opportunity to listen to people's stories and it's changed me. This is not about news feeds and media outlets. This is not about a political agenda. And I don't, that's like the last thing that compels me. That does not change my heart. Um, but hearing people's stories has changed my heart. It has changed my convictions. Um, I understand the situations are complex, but I want to encourage uh, a portion of our listeners that are going to be uh, challenged to let, let that be okay. Like we're not going to hold this in a heavy-handed way. Um, I, I want to invite you to join me in a journey that I've been trying to be on, just me personally. Because uh, I have found that I need it. I I need, I need this journey. So, uh, did I say that okay, Portia? What do you think about that? Sounds great. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. So you, Portia, you wrote me uh, and shared. Um, I love the email you wrote. Like it was, it was generous. Uh, it was, it was compassionate. It was considerate. It was also like straightforward. Um, and it was just everything it ought to have been. And, and, and you, you, you mentioned that how you were drawn to our podcast and, and the Eastern perspective, you were drawn, you were drawn to the deconstructive theology, uh, that we had, you know, we're, we're kind of walking through in different ways, but yet throughout that experience, like to, as you got through that experience, like Pat, like just, as you brought it all together, you also, um, you also shared that you didn't feel seen. I love that phrase. Um, you didn't feel seen as a black woman, and and you weren't finding that space within our podcast conversation. And so, first of all, I want to ask if you can share. Let's go to that first part of that. Can you speak to some of the things that you really enjoyed about the podcast, the content, the things that you celebrated as you listened to what we were doing with with Bema? Yeah. So I've been listening for about about two years, um, and really on. Um, I was recommended the podcast from a, a fellow believer and just started listening. And it was transformational for me because it was one of the first times I had heard the gospel not centered in a U.S. lens. And that has been increasingly important for me. Um, I shared that my work is around um, identity development and wanting to understand the world as it pertains to unique perspectives. And so it was helpful for me to hear stories that I'd heard um, from as a child and hear those things uh, shared in, in deeper ways, in more meaningful ways. And so being able to kind of use my imagination and hear you know, as you know, in the beginning podcast, as you are describing um, what the covenant would have looked like and what that relationship would have looked like and how it would have been performed. And so not having that, those details, um, if you are, you know, if, if you're not in a space that that's taught to you continuously and you commit it to memory, um, it is, you know, and 
like it's pulling scales off eyes for me because, oh, it, it centers an, another voice. Um, it, it forces me to understand the Bible in um, enlightened geographical ways and enlightened cultural ways. And that in and of itself has been a really big blessing because when I go back and I read and I, I'm looking at um, other examples or, you know, other texts or different, you know, versions of um from the Bible, not versions, but, um, you know, like ESV or NIV or whatever, I'm kind of comparing what I've, again, what was taught in church for me for so many years, I can go back and say, oh no. So this is how this connects to the new Testament. Okay. So this was taken out of context when it was taught to me, this helps me frame my understanding of uh, God's people better. This helps me frame the better understanding of what they mean when this is being said, oh, this is something that would have been understood, um, by, you know, the Jewish people, by, by Israelites. Um, and me being an outsider would not have picked up on that had I not had you all share that more, um, thoroughly. And so that is, that's been a, like I said, it's been a gift. And I encourage my students to listen to the podcast. Um, I, all my friends, they know I'm going to bring it up for them, but it's also allowed me to have a deeper understanding of, um, who God is and, and the text. Right. And so when I hear you all say things like, you know, God wants to partner with people. It gives me a clearer understanding of what partnership um, could look like or what he may want a partnership to look like and allows me to put myself in a, well, hopefully humble myself better um, to seek out to understand that. So Portia, that kind of makes me wonder. So I, knowing you lived in Japan for a year and that a lot of your work um, involves international students from, I assume, a pretty wide variety of cultures, I would think that you have a lot more exposure to Eastern culture uh, than most most Americans, most uh, Western people. And so I'm wondering, like, how did that experience help you understand the Bema material or maybe the other way around, even where you had some experiences um, that you didn't understand or didn't didn't see in a particular light? But then once you had context from Bema on that Eastern perspective, helped you see some of those experiences. So I don't know if you have like some examples of things or, or any, just anything you want to share about um, your interaction with, with Eastern culture and, and how that relates to Bama. Yeah. Um, so for all the things that the, the West has to offer, I think one thing that has been really challenging for me personally has been the individualism, um, how we operate. Um, and I won't mention any brands, but there's a lot of eyes involved in a lot of things. Right. And so it's, it's, a lot of, for me, navel gazing is the word I'll use. And so this eye-centered uh, community or I- ideology really, in my opinion, kind of is is an op- is opposition in some ways of the communal way in which I was able to experience um, Japan and the other just places that I've been able to visit. And so, and also I'll say this as a, as a black American, there are some deeply communal things that I, that resonated with me in listening to you all share um, about um, Hebrew people, the people of, of God's people, right? God's chosen to let the people. And it, it never, Although I understood it being a black person and seeing it lived out um, while living in Japan and other places, again, this sharing of space, this this deep tradition, this desire to keep tradition and not because you're looking to um, keep everyone else out, but understanding that there is value in holding tightly to um, these cultural and ethnic identities. And that has just been amplified for me. And so there's some things, communal practices, the communal reading of a text. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Black church, um, but in a lot of traditional Black churches, 
churches, there's this call and response. And so hearing you all speak to that as some things that would have happened um, in, in synagogue places and knowing that, oh, there is a connection for me, a deeper cultural connection. Again, seeing it lived out in Japan was amazing. Seeing these intergenerational families and really understanding, you know, when it when uh, in the New Testament, it talks about, you know, older generation teaching the younger, um, seeing that lived because you are living with the people and you're seeing um, and you're experiencing firsthand, right, how they live and um, in some ways under having a better understanding of why they do the things they do. And so those experiences have stayed with me. And it, again, I see it just in so many other parts of the world. And I wish we would adopt that viewpoint or that ideology a, a bit more um, instead of the, um, the you know, well, at least for me, I'll say go, going up and, you know, going to college and getting out of the house. Me, my, my mother and I often talk about what would it have looked like if we stayed um, to build and grow. Um, and so those are some things that I wish, um, I would have heard about, uh, in, in the church context, but, uh, I recognize that maybe a, a bit more of the Western ideology coming into play. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's some of, on some, on some level, similar things that you experience, some of those things that were missing, some of those things that were lacking mm-hmm. as you even went through the podcast and had that experience. So I'd love to hear more and listen some more uh, if you could talk to us about just the experience you had of not feeling seen, like not not finding that your your unique experience was um, necessarily found a home in the larger conversation mm-hmm. that we were having. Can you can you give some words to that? Yeah, um, as a layperson and someone who is just trying to build faith in community. I remember being a kid and hearing, I don't know if you've heard the song, you know, Jesus loves the little children of the world, red, yellow, black, white, they're precious in his sight. Um, and I am not saying that is like biblically sound by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I heard that my, you know, my entire life. And then in hearing, you know, you all share about this, this deeply communal people, this God chosen people and me trying to see, well, Jesus, I believe you love me. Um, God, I believe you love me. Where, where am I in the text? It seems as if um, I'm left out and I don't want to misinterpret or misunderstand uh, what's being placed there. Again, I recognize that geographically, the Bible is around the, the MENA region, right? Middle East, North Africa. Um, and there are examples that in the Bible where there, that, that there's engagement with people of African descent. But in, in listening to you, I kept wondering like, okay, I see a connection for me personally, um, and I see some some overlaps in the way I've understood the gospel, but I don't see myself represented. Um, and then at the same time, trying to remind myself, it's not about you, um, but God does see you and, and God does, you know, hear you. And so trying to, you know, as an educator, I often push my students to think critically. And so I've been trying to use critical analysis um, for a few things. I, I mentioned earlier ge- ge- geography. And so recognizing that Egypt is in the continent of Africa. But for some reason in this Western space I've been taught, I don't know if they move it or I don't know, you know, what happens to that country being a part of that continent, but it's, it's just not taught outwardly or expressed outwardly. And so in hearing you all talk about the Exodus, um, I'm wondering, I kept wondering, you know, what happened to those Egyptian people? How are they a part of this larger narrative? Um, I know the scripture says that some of them, some Egyptians like went with, um, you know, God's chosen people as they, uh, as they, as they, as they exodus out of, uh, Egypt, 
what are their stories? Like, did were they um, kind of enveloped into the larger narrative? Um, in my life, I'd heard uh, rumors about Moses's wife, Moshe, I believe is what I've heard you call Moses. Well, my understanding of Moses's name, um, it'd been rumored for me in my, in my childhood that he'd married a woman of African descent. Like, is that true? Um, I don't want to hang my hat on something that's not being true. Um, and then fast forwarding to thinking about Mary and Joseph and Jesus's birth, how um, they had to flee, um, you know, to um, Egypt for um, as really as for the persecution of Romans. And so what what did that experience look like for them? Right. You don't I have a saying that you don't run and hide out to where you stand out. So what, again, is this connection to um, the continent of Africa? Where do I, although I keep hearing and seeing in scripture, what is the connection? Where do I fit in? Um, and I'd I love to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch because in, in my head, you know, Ethiopia is in kind of the Midwestern part of the continent of Africa. And so I have wrestled with this eunuch, number one, reading the scriptures. You all shared about, you know, how would he have had um, this text of Isaiah? Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, well, if it wasn't translated for him, how did he, how did he come into the knowledge of um, Yahweh? How did he understand? How did he know who God was? Why was he traveling to Jerusalem? Um, he Did he speak the language? Because it doesn't say there was a conversation where he and Philip needed a translator. Like I'm, all these questions continue to swirl around me as I'm thinking through the text, um, as I'm hearing you all work your way through the text and it's just there. And so um, I, I believe God intentionally created me in the skin and ethnic identity of which he did. Um, and I've wrestled with saying, like you said, Marty, I'm not feeling seen in that. I, I believe that God loves me. I believe that um, I recognize that I am not of the originally chosen people, but I want to partner with God. And so how do I partner with, with a God, with the God of the universe? If I don't fully see how he sees me um, in the way that he loves me and how my narrative um, or people that share the same ethnic identity as myself is is an important part of the of the text as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and since we've even had a chance to have our conversations, I've just thought of so many places um, over these years long journey that we've been recording missed opportunities. I have not been trained to see those opportunities, and I don't have to like. I, I get to lean into my very confined experience when I go to the text, when I hear it. I get to hear it through my I, – and, and I'm, I, I don't know if I'm shocked. I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. I, I, I guess I'm – I, I missed opportunities on the podcast. I think we as a, as a church that I, that I was raised in missed opportunities – to teach us how to think more that way, to see those opportunities, we just missed them, and because uh, they are there, you're absolutely right about some of these examples um, uh, uh, about the characters from Egypt. I love the Zipporah, absolutely. The Midrash has Jethro. Like a lot of people are going to be like, "Well, they're Midianites, and that's going to be more Arabian." No, well, Jethro, according to the Midrash, comes out of Egypt, like deep Egypt, um, and that's why he's in Midian. Uh, so absolutely, Zipporah would have had a much more African descent. Uh, and yeah, the Ethiopian eunuch, 110%. And I even like see that in my mind now. Like when I see the story, I've gotten to a place where I see this like deeply African, deeply dark-skinned mm-hmm. individual in a chariot. And 
And and I but I don't it still doesn't come out of my mouth. It's still a missed opportunity to reflect on the relevance and the significance of that aspect of the story that would bridge the gap. And see, this is what I mean when I when I tell our listeners like this is not about me digging in my heels or taking a stance. It's about me listening. Because when I hear your story, I, I don't I'm, I don't have to feel attacked. I just get to go, oh, goodness, yes. That was a – what an opportunity to bring somebody in. That's what the whole story of the Ethiopian eunuch was about. Mm. Like, goodness. Like, he's getting the opportunity. He wants to know. Like, it is this story for me or is it just for everybody else? Is this story for me or is it just for Jews? Like, that's what he wants to know. Um, and we always make it about Jesus and, again, turn it into a bunch of theological statements. What he wants to know, as we taught in our lesson, was, is this for me? I'm an outsider. I feel like an outsider. And and Philip says, absolutely, this is for you. And there's this and, – and I we, – we alluded to Isaiah 58, like there's a place for you. There's a place for you in God's house. God says he writes your name on the walls of the temple, Isaiah 58, like – Oh, what a missed, what a missed opportunity now that I hear your story. Um, and I don't think I'll ever teach that the same. What, what about Hagar? This Egyptian maidservant brought out from Egypt. And then in so many ways, you re- when you read the story, you're like, is she discarded? Is she, and, and yet what does she say? The God who sees me, like the God who sees me. <laughs> Like, what a missed opportunity to talk about some of these things. And I just really appreciate you you sharing that. But um, what are the things, if you were to think about that and reflect on that portion, what are the what are some, like, just big, big ideas, things that we could have done, um, things that we can do moving forward in this space to where that wouldn't have been so much the experience? What are, what are things in an alternate universe we could have done to, to make that, to round that out more? Yeah. Um, a few things that come to mind immediately is I, I love that you all share resources and I'm, I'm always wondering, you know, are there other scholars, um, that could be drawn on, um, from, um, that offer unique, ex- you know, experiences and perspectives that are of course in line. I'm, I'm not pulling anything outside of, of that, but what other, what other scholars are out there that are having similar conversations and how do, um, how do we, how do you all pull those folks in? If it's, if it's, you know, if it's reading, if it's books, um, can we amplify some of those voices that may not have the same platform or access? Um, that's, that's one way for me. And and my experience has been super, God's been super gracious for me in that, um, alongside your podcast, there are a few others that I listen to and they are, um, they're just black people, you know, wanting to understand the Bible, um, helping me to understand why I believe what I believe. Um, Jude 3 podcast has been an amazing uh, gift to me in walking me through the Bible and walking other believers that identify as Black or anyone else for that matter who feels like an outsider, right? And who feels othered and wants to be a part of the conversation. Um, a few other names that I will drop that have been a blessing to me are Issa Makali um, and uh, Pastor Eric Mason. Those folks for me have helped me uh remove a Western lens, right. Or challenge the Western ideology that I've, that I've just kind of was grown into and thrust upon the water that I swam in for so long. And so, um, those are a couple of examples. Additionally, um, as we're sharing, as, as we are, as I am understanding more about, um, 
the God of the Israelites. Can we give specific examples of folks that would have been identified as um, maybe non-Middle Eastern or non-Greek, non-Roman? Who were the other, were there other people in the early church, you know, that, uh, that were a part of this community? Uh, again, thinking about the Ethiopian eunuch, like, how did he even know? Like, who else went? Um, you know, who, and he took that back to other people. And so again, challenging this ideology, and this is a really more historical academic space that I know I live in, but um, there's this, uh, there's this belief system um, that, you know, um, European missionaries came and saved folks in the continent of Africa. And so, but as I'm reading in Acts, I'm like, no, I've got to challenge that because here's his example. How would this Ethiopian eunuch known at all uh, about the God of the Israelites? And so are there spaces or ways that we can dive deeper into those texts and name, you know, geographically where these folks may have been located um, and what they would have looked like? I know we, and I wasn't there and and there's no way for me to go back, but I have to believe that the closer to the, the equator one is, the darker one becomes just by nature of the sun. And so um, can we name those things openly and outright? Um, and so I, 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 and some, some of my notes, I thought about season five, episode 192, the intentional relationships with people in the story. Um, what were these those other intentional relationships that were there as the disciples are... Um, as, as followers of the way are being asked to um, at, or to build community, what were those inter intercultural relationships, those cross cultural relationships, and and it may not all be with folks of African descent, right? I recognize um, it's talked about the day of Pentecost. It was you know Jewish folks from different cultural and ethnic backgrounds and languages. And so, what would that have looked like? And um, can we highlight some of those experiences? Yeah. Wow, that's great. Um, I and and again, Portia and I have been able to have conversations elsewhere so this doesn't need to be done like in front of anybody else we've been able to have our conversations and and i've hopefully been able to uh, apologize to portia for her experience in ways that she can hear but i i want to take the opportunity to do the same thing for like other listeners and people that could have had similar have had similar experiences to you because of opportunities i didn't take because of the trivial lackadaisical way i approach things like patriarchy or these same ethical to- like et- ethnic topics and and missed opportunities to like when i haven't been strong enough in draw- drawing lines and connecting dots between you know empire and what it looks like and how it's led to in spite of the ways that people have heard my passion for the alien the orphan the widow for the mumser at, at times i have simply um been complicit in the same kind of systems or language or that that only made the problems worse and what that did was it made other people uh feel like they were on the outside of the gospel like they were on the outside of the story um the exact opposite thing of what god keeps trying to draw us and invite us into and so for anybody that may be like like portia and her experience i just want to say i apologize for the ways i've contributed to that i've been on a a long journey, and I am only getting started uh, over the last few years, especially in my life. And I just know that I've contributed at times to the problem. And I know that that, that has consequences, like that has hurt people. Um, it's made people feel excluded, and it's made people feel unseen uh, in the face of a story and a God who just so badly wants to make sure that people realize they are seen by him, and we're supposed to be that priesthood uh, that that pro- that propels that 
story forward. So, um, A, I know I've participated in that uh, at, at times because of unintentionally and at times because I just haven't done the work that I needed to do. Um, B, I know, I know that that's impacted folks and, and been hurtful. And then C, I want to get better at some of these things. And so uh, having these conversations changes stuff for me. I appreciate Portia being able to reach out and, and tell me these things. Uh, I remember even before, I think it was a couple weeks before you even emailed me, um, Portia, I was looking at my guest list for all the speakers we had, all the guest interviews we wanted to do for for uh, session six. And they were, I think I had 43 names on a notebook. They were, 40, all 43 of them were white. 42 of them were men. And I just had to pull the plug on that plan and say, I have to get better at, like you said, elevating some of these other voices, sharing a platform, widening my own uh, just circle of folks that I'm connected with and that I get to know. And uh, so there are lots of things that need to be done and, and we want to be a part of, of doing that. So um, definitely want to just uh, put that, put that statement out there and, and commit to doing better with that. And let me just call out Portia's chutzpah in contacting <laughs> us. Like I, I, so I'm looking at this Acts eight passage and just like mulling over it and, you know, they've, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip have been talking for some time. Uh, they're mulling over the text. They're wrestling together, which is amazing. And then it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water mm -hmm. and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized mm -hmm. or what can stand in the way of my being a part of this community? And, and Portia just has that like, Hey, I see this narrative of God. What is going to stand in the way of my calling out? Marty and Brent and saying, how can I, like, what's going to stand in the way of me being part of this narrative? And it was done so well. Like I, I have gotten such angry emails. I will get emails about this episode and, and your, and Portia, your email was just done with all kinds, like exactly what Brent said, chutzpah, straightforward, boldness, but such generous, open-handed, compassionate. It was not attacking it didn't act like I was an idiot. Um, it was it was just honest, and it was it was it was so good. And I will I will field probably who knows how many emails that will not be compassionate, and they will be very uh, arrogantly postured and tell me all the things that I need to know because apparently I'm an idiot. And and I just appreciate Portia how you did it. It was just so well done. So thank you for being uh, willing to do that. It's going to make us better, and I'm I'm thankful for that personally. So thank you. Um, let me ask you, uh, you, you put a note on here late in our discussion. We have some notes in front of us here. And you added a note towards the bottom here. Um, something about uh, uh, how you've recognized that oftentimes, I think this fits off of what we just actually mentioned here just a moment ago. We like to take the Bible and put it in an abstract place where um, like, like it's not about like it's 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 in this it's in this weird abstract vacuum where it's not about politics, it's not about race, it's not about any of those like controversial issues. It's just about like some abstract theological ideas. Uh, and you have you have some comments on what your experience has been with that. Could you could you speak to that, Portia? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I I'm 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 thankful to, to the Holy Spirit in that when I when I read the text, it it's real to me. 
right? Like these are real people who live real lives. It was it wasn't some movie fairy tale that everyone lived perfectly. We see amazing examples of that being the opposite, right? Um, David was a man after God's own heart, and he was a hot mess sometimes. Um, and I, that's helped me because what I recognize is um, it isn't just abstract. And so I identify as a Black American woman, and I cannot separate biblical texts from my current events, past events, um, social issues of today and yesterday. Um, my lived experiences have not allowed me to live in a way that I I don't, I, I live as if I don't believe the text, right? Um, I am really in ancestry. It is, it's in February. So Black History Month is always, well, it's always on my mind, but definitely during the month of February. And um, recently my, um, my mother found uh, a copy of the slave manifest of my ancestors from, from New Orleans down to South Carolina. Uh, the plantation that my grandfather's family would have come from, it still stands. That family still lives there. Um, and I am related to those folks. Um, and so for me, the Bible being good news, I, I have to think about um, my ancestry. I have to think about what good news that they received, because whatever it was, they believed it. They lived as if they believed it. They lived with the hope that even though they couldn't see it, they, they couldn't feel it. They didn't know what it felt like. They couldn't experience it. They didn't know folks that experienced it. They believed that um, there was there was freedom on the other end of something. Um, and so with that in my heart and in my head, I believe that those people who were kidnapped and abused and raped physically and psychologically abused, and some of them believed in the text. They believed in when they read um, or when it was read to them, um, about the children of, of, of Israel um, having an exodus outside of, of Egypt, they believed that the God of, of the Israelites, the God of his chosen children, could and would do the same thing for them. They clung to that with desperation. Um, they believed that the God of the gospel brought and brings salvation and freedom. And that's what they they clung to. Um, and that is what I cling to currently is that I don't, I don't separate that. I, I, I live it because I believe it. And um that, you know, again, it's February. I've been doing a lot more research, but those are the things that um, that have stayed with me and why wanting to be seen, wanting to to be heard, wanting to know that the God of the universe um, sees me and is intentional and wants to partner with people that look like me in his bigger narrative. Right. Um, my whole life, when it came to anything about diversity and inclusion in the church or just about culture in the church, Revelation 7 and 9 is always mentioned um, and what what heaven will look like or be like. And for me, I, I want to experience that. And so, you know, if it says every nation, tribe and tongue, that means every nation, tribe and tongue will be represented there. And and so again, it just reaffirms that, that God is intentional and he wants to partner with these folks of different languages, of different ethnic identities, of different hues. Um, and that's good to him, right? I was made in the same Imago day as anyone else is, and that's good to him. And that, again, just gives me a hope to cling to when things are not going amazingly well here in the, in the country in which I live or in the world, generally speaking. I cling to that truth. Mm. That is well said. Mm. That's good. Um, well, we probably have, we have, we got just, just a little time here to field like, what's one thing, Portia, uh, of the thousand things we could talk about, uh, 
pick some item, some topic that might be related to this conversation, I would imagine that we could pull apart here before we work towards a closing. Do you have any, anything that really sticks out to you as far as like this? This is the thing that ne- that needed, maybe not the thing, but one of the things that could have been dealt with. Uh, let's talk about something here. Um, sure. Uh, I'm going to go with geography, honestly. I think time and time again, I've read, you know, where these stories are happening. But if we could be specific in who who were, who were was in those place, places, who lived in those places, um what would they how would they would engage engage with other people um because i, I don't want to be clear i identify as black but i don't want a binary to be created on this side either right i, I believe again the god of the universe wants to partner with other people when i hear about you know um disciples going to asia like what is it like for those folks so i think geography um being clear on what the folks in those spaces may have looked like or could have looked like or you know what groups, ethnic, cultural groups were there because we do it for the Greeks and the Romans. So why not do it for folks that would have lived in, you know, in Asia or um, in other parts of, of the world as the Bible, as we see it on the text being, um, being um, coming out. Yeah. Being lived out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great point. I mean, we talk about the, this whole story happening at the crossroads of the earth in the center of all these civilizations. And, yeah, I think especially when you're raised in an experience like I was raised with, you just build everything on all these assumptions and you never consider some of the things that you're just bringing to the table, which is the geography, the the, the physical appearance, where these people came from. It was unbelievably diverse because you're absolutely right. The And, and when you read the, the opening chapters of the book of Genesis and it's talking about the table of nations and it's talking about uh, all, all these different people groups, it, it represents – um, like right there at the crossroads of the earth, the center, like the centerpiece of, of that ancient human civilization, there's all these people groups that uh, are, are very much that that land is unbelievably accessible. And so you would have seen a, a great amount of diversity, like physically in their world. And they didn't look like a bunch of Greco-Roman folks. Um, the Greeks come in quite a bit later in the story <laughs> from the West. We have a very... Uh, Ancient Near East, and then uh, uh, you know from Babylonian and Chaldean, uh, and then all these you know African. Even if it's North Africa, um, you have all these African uh, people groups that are absolutely connected uh, to the story. I actually got an email in my inbox today about the whole of Curse of Ham thing because hmm. um, there's there's this huge thing about. The curse of Ham and was Ham's curse that he was black and and then like people will quote um people will quote like this like there's a couple of Jewish references that people then take and pull way out of context of what's being done and build this whole like I can still remember um Brent was around for this. We were doing a discussion group at the very beginning of the podcast and we we had a listener that was there in in discussion a very large group of people, a lot of them college students. And and this person was talking about how one of the things that Genesis is trying to teach us is about racial purity and the curse of Ham being – and I lost a lot of college students that day for mm. good reason. Um, they, like just trying to figure out how to navigate that conversation um, because there is this – and one of the things that the Jewish conversation is doing when it does connect – like. Uh, the descendants of Ham include Mitzrayim, include Cush, include, and one of the things the Bible does do is it 
as far as we understand the translation, it does call out the pigment of their skin. It does call out who they are and the fact that they look different than they are different. And yet the Jewish conversation is that because of that, they're mistreated. Like that's the assumption. Like somehow some folks out there turned it into like the curse Mm -hmm. when in fact what the Bible is doing is going because they don't look like uh, the majority, even in that Middle Eastern context, because they still look so different, they have been mistreated, they are looked at differently, and and that's part of what the Jewish conversation is trying to to bring up. In fact, it even connects like God's people to, I loved you because you, you know what it's like to be mistreated. And some of the prophetic utterances are, are just like the people of Cush. Um, and so... Yeah, again, just missed opportunities of not being able to pull those things out and talk about those things, because you're absolutely right. This is this is a crossroads of the earth, not just in physical geography of, like, practical highways, but the people on those highways would have looked very diverse. And why is it that whenever anybody in the scriptures, from Old to New Testament, from Revelation back through Isaiah, when anybody gets a glimpse of heaven, like, the first thing they have to tell you the first thing that everybody tells you is I got a glimpse of heaven. And before I even tell you what I saw, I got to tell you, everybody was there. Every tribe, every people, every nation. Well, how did they know that? They knew that because they looked around the room and they went, look at the kaleidoscope of people and humanity. It's just, it, it, it's a glorious picture that my life so rarely parallels. And so it, it's just a wonderful topic to bring up. I'm going to be, because of our interactions in this conversation, I'm going to be so much more aware of and apt to point out uh, where that shows up because it's the geography is is so much more than we talked about. And that's a wonderful, wonderful point. And I think even like looking at the Tower of Babel story, mm. there's like a very clear moment where we see everyone is speaking a single language. Everyone is together. Everyone is doing the same thing. And God said, this is not how things should be. The world is a better place if there are multiple languages, if there are multiple people, if there are multiple identities, multiple cultures. And so, yeah, uh, just one more missed opportunity that we that we didn't bring up when we were talking about the Tower of Babel, you know. And you're so right, Brent, because Foreman does a great job, you know, the, the guy who we based a lot of our Genesis teaching off of, uh, of pointing out how the, the scattering of the Babel story is again, not a curse. It's God saying, right now, if humanity accomplishes whatever they want to do, it's going to be unbelievably destructive. But th- if I can force them to have to learn empathy, again, like those two words are just ruling the day for me the last few months, curiosity and empathy. Like if you're ever going to work together again, if you're ever going to be a, a, a humanity that can join in on a project together again, you're going to have to literally learn how to speak other other languages. You're going to have to literally learn how to listen and learn from somebody else, how to see somebody else, how to honor and respect somebody other, somebody who is other than you. Hmm. And uh, that's uh, it's a wonderful story you bring up because that's exactly what we'd want to model in our conversation today. If we're ever going to get back to a place where we're putting the world back together, it's because God said, well, when you finally learn to listen, if you finally learn to get over yourself and to quit just trying to preserve your own identity and your own success and your own comfort and your own experience, and you learn how to truly listen, well, then there might be hope for this world. Um, 
then you, then we might see something new happen. And so, great story, Brent Billings. Love bringing that up. Uh, Portia, is there anything as we kind of start to head out of here? Is there anything about your work that you would love people to know about? Anything that we can let you promote or we can promote for you here right now? Sure. Um, I shared I'm in I work in academia, but um, I started a company to begin having these conversations further. And so a lot of it happens in an academic setting, but also I partner with uh, local faith-based groups to um, facilitate and do trainings on um, topics of diversity, in, diversity, inclusion, um, international education, and culture, um, and how and justice, right? And I know there are a lot of issues around that in academia, but how do we approach that work? Um, I have been super blessed to work alongside some amazing folks that are believers, and um, we share this idea that you know people are created in the Imago Day. Um, and I know you all talk about, you know, peace and shalom, and we want to be a part of what that looks like here. And so um, one way uh, I do that is through a, an organization called Can We Talk? And we put on every spring semester, I live in semesters, forgive me, <laughs> we put on um, a, a group of talk uh, talks that we ask people, lay people, both of the faith and not of the faith to come in and let's have a conversation around issues, around um, justice and um, prison systems or uh, faith in the church and what does that look like cross-culturally. Um, and so that's one organization that I, it's really, really near and dear to my heart. Um, my own company is called Endurance Consulting. Um, and just this idea that uh, while I'm here on earth, I, it's not always easy, right? But I'm called to endure and, and keep pushing on. And so Endurance Consulting is, LLC is the name of my company. Um, and uh, yeah, those are two ways that folks can um, can get in contact with me or, you know, I'm doing hopefully doing the work and being obedient and what that looks like. So we have, uh, I'll put those in the show notes, Endurance Consulting, your website, Um and is there anything else, uh, any other ways that people can find you, see what you're doing, be a part of the work that you're doing, et cetera? On the Instagram, as my mother call it, calls it, the Instagram. No, um, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> There's some generational things there. Um, but no, on Instagram, um, at Endurance Consulting is where I'm at there. And then I believe you also have a Facebook group. Uh, that's can, yes. Can we talk? My apologies. So can we talk has a Facebook group. It's uh, can we talk uh, facebook.com backslash GSO. Can we talk? Okay. And of course that'll be in the show notes as well. And uh, also those uh, uh, podcasts and speakers that you mentioned earlier on, I've got those in the notes as well. So uh, plenty of, plenty of ways to, uh, to find some resources out of today's episode. Portia, can I just say thank you one more time? I just appreciate you being willing to be with us today, the way that you have um, just entered the conversation and helped us. And uh, just I just appreciate who you are and, and how we've gotten to know you. So thank you. Thank you both. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And of course, BaymontDiscipleship.com. Uh, we've got the notes for this episode. And, uh, you know, definitely check out what Portia's doing. And uh, we're very excited to, to have her perspective on the show. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.